0: Gnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, The government the government the government 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 Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baronowski, professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney and defender of freedom, Jay Carson. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hey Jay, how are you doing this morning?
1: Oh, I'm right. I just wanna say uh, like um, uh, when McConnell didn't trip, he was pushed.
0: <laughs> oh, that's good. All right. Well, let's. Uh, we, we have a lot we're going to talk about today. Uh, we want to get into uh, Tucker Carlson's use of the January 6th footage, uh, Joe Biden's latest budget, uh, the jobs report and some uh, stuff about child labor, Ron DeSantis and Disney, Gavin Newsom and Walgreens. I don't know if we're going to get to all that. We probably won't, but we'll get to as much of it as we possibly can. And we will get started in just one second. All right. So, you know, the last time we did the show, Jay, two weeks ago, uh, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy had just announced that he was giving exclusive access to thousands of hours of January 6th surveillance video to, to Fox News personality Tucker Carlson. and. I predicted that Carlson who's kind of been playing the role of a Trump supporting stolen democracy guy for, you know, fun and profit I guess, uh, that he would cherry pick video, discuss it out of context, uh, not make any effort really to do any actual reporting and then conclude that oh, I was right all along and January 6th wasn't such a big deal. And lo and behold, that is exactly what happened this week as uh, Carlson began um Well, you know, reporting doesn't seem like the right word, so I'll go with discussing parts of the video. and U.S. Capitol Police Chief Tom Manger said that Carlson's depiction of January 6th was, in his words, filled with offensive and misleading conclusions, and that Carlson's claim that Capitol Police uh, were acting as tour guide for that QAnon shaman guy was outrageous and false. Uh, and it wasn't just the Capitol Police Chief. There were a number of uh, Republicans, actually, who came out against what Carlson did, including Senate, Major- Senate minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who had the following statement. It was a mistake, in my view, for Fox News to depict this in a
1: way that's completely at variance with what our chief law enforcement
0: official here at the Capitol thinks. And, you know, as I mentioned, McConnell was joined by a number of other Senate Republicans in this kind of condemnation of Carlson's uh, interpretation of January 6th. But House Republicans, on the other hand, were more supportive of their speaker's uh, move to give Carlson exclusive access and also what Carlson had done with it so far, for instance. Kentucky Representative Thomas Massey said that Carlson's reporting had exposed so many lies. And Representative Elise Stefanik, who's the third-ranking House Republican, said – The Democrats' dishonest narrative is being demolished. Uh, The January 6th committee was nothing more than a scam with the sole purpose of smearing President Trump and his supporters. And then there was the official House Republican Twitter account, which promoted Carlson's show with a red alarm emoji and in all caps, must watch. And speaking of all caps, on True Social, Donald Trump commented on Carlson's comments in all caps, a post reading, let the January 6th prisoners go, they were convicted or are awaiting trial based on a giant lie, a radical left con job. Thank you to Tucker Carlson and Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy for what you have both done. New video footage is irrefutable. Three exclamation points. So what do you think, Jay? I mean, do you find yourself agreeing more with Mitch McConnell here or with Donald Trump and uh, Kevin McCarthy, who this week, of course, expressed no regret at having given Carlson access, exclusive access to this video?
1: So going back to when we talked about this uh I think it was 2 weeks ago. Uh-huh. Um you and I were were in substantial agreement, but uh to varying varying levels of of intensity I yes. guess that's probably the best way to describe it right? Yeah. Um and it was it was sort of a uh I think I said uh Geez, I think this is a bad idea uh not what I would have done. Um uh, I think you could have done it a better way but uh, I was uh, and i think we sort of agreed that uh oh, you know tucker carlson's a horrible person and so forth um but you you were you were much more intense about that as were some of our listeners um so i, I think i'm 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 still there on on that piece of it uh and i also i think i joined you in the prediction that you know tucker carlson would sort of cherry pick stuff uh, uh, out of this these what twenty four thousand hours or, or whatever it is of, of footage uh, to show some people acting peacefully and say well look there you go this was uh, this was a mostly peaceful protest um, so all, all that said i I agree with McConnell um, but'm I'm, I'm also saying the, the others aren't necessarily wrong to some extent uh, and I I guess my you i i wonder, i i think both can be true right um it it's uh misrepresents what happened cherry cherry picking uh little bits of footage misrepresent uh the totality of what went on uh, in that day um that said look it's still it's still actual footage uh and i think i think Carlson's comments misrepresent that footage and i think it's it's valuable uh to have someone looking at it now again i don't think this demolishes the uh the any um the notion um that that uh january 6th was with violence um but uh, nor nor does it uh um prove that the january 6th committee um was not a, a political exercise right i think i think both things can be true um you can have actual facts, and you can have them misrepresented. Um, so I, I, that's that's sort of where I I come down on this. And and something that you know strikes me is um, this this has always been sort of a case, right? In in our country, and I think everywhere. Um, well, I shouldn't say everywhere, but uh, a lot of places where you'll have these these events, these these uh, spark events, these uh, uh, uprisings um sometimes violent sometimes peaceful um more often than not uh, violent and they become a symbol for something bigger and they are taken and twisted and misrepresented on on all sides um as a as a scholar of early america uh, that, that you know me to be um one, one of the the biggest uh pieces of propaganda um that was put out there in support of of uh Uh, American uh, resistance to the British and eventually independence uh, came from Paul Revere, who did a uh, silver uh, engraving, because that's what he did as a silversmith, of the Boston Massacre, which most historians agree is a complete and entire total misrepresentation uh, of, of, uh, you know, of what actually happened during the Boston Massacre. Um, Yet it's, but that doesn't mean the Boston Massacre didn't happen um and and what i'm saying is i think there can be there can be levels of uh i hate to use the word nuance but i will um when you're looking at at this that uh um th- you know there's there's a bigger story here than uh, uh the the January sixth narrative of this was an attempt to uh thwart democracy and take over the government and attempt to coup insurrection all that sort of thing uh and certainly uh, uh this also be at odds with Tucker Carlson's. These were just peaceful sightseers,
0: right? I, I, I certainly, you know, and I said a lot
1: of stuff there, but
0: well, I think that reasonable people can certainly disagree as to whether or not what happened was uh, an attempted insurrection. Uh, I, I would, I would argue that there were some people, like some of the Proud Boys folks, who right, definitely. Right. No, intended- yeah, I was going to
1: say there are there there are different motives for different yeah. people.
0: But 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 I also think it's important to not fall into uh, what's sometimes called false equivalence, saying that well you know the January sixth committee they were political and Tucker Carlson's political, so you know it's all just it's all just political. And, and I think there are distinctions to be made and important distinctions of degree. And so it's it's I, I would ha- I don't think you're necessarily saying that right, or or maybe you are I don't know.
1: Right? No, I actually that that's sort of exactly what I'm saying.
0: Okay, so so you're saying is, that there's really, really no look at yeah you're saying there's really no distinction between what the January 6th committee did and what Tucker Carlson did?
1: No, no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying there is a, distinction. okay. 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 That's, that's what I thought. I think, I think, I think yeah. I want look what I'm saying. Here's the thing. I'm saying you can come to the conclusion that the January 6th committee, uh, was, was a, a political exercise, uh, aimed at, you know, hitting Trump and his supporters and rather than, one at gathering historical evidence,
0: well, it can be both, I mean, just um, like I mean it, it, right. you're not know saying that's, it's entirely yeah. that right
1: but i'm I'm saying that that uh you know the Tucker Carlson footage um, doesn't change that one way or the other it doesn't sure. or, or does or nor does whatever uh, if that the committee was politically motivated uh, change the fact that that uh, Tucker Carlson would seem to be misrepresenting uh the larger. Piece of what happened on January sixth, yeah,
0: and and uh, you know I, I think it, it all comes down to ratings, of course, and and it, that's what Tucker Carlson wanted, and that's what he got, right? I mean, uh, ratings that uh, he attracted somewhere around an extra eight hundred thousand uh, viewers this week over last week. Yeah. So I mean, so I just get curious.
1: Did did you watch it?
0: I saw parts of it, uh, and uh, you know, I I was I was conflicted because. I realized that, that was watching the entire thing was playing exactly into, you know, what, what he wanted, right? And uh, so I watched enough of it to get a sense of what he was saying, uh, just like, you know, a, a while ago when he. Put together that multi-part segment about how January sixth was a uh, was a FBI uh, false flag operation job, sort of yeah. thing. I'm not going to watch that whole thing too because uh, you know I, I only have so many hours in the day and and absolute garbage by some thirsty sad horrible human being. I'm not going to spend time doing that. You know, uh, so uh, enough to get the gist. I think, and I think that's how a lot of people felt. But I don't know. Did you watch it?
1: No, I, I didn't. Um... And and it wasn't a matter of I you know deliberately chose not to watch or boycott it or I I think I just had something else going on, um, and honestly didn't know that was when they were airing it and
0: um, but, but I mean but thinking but,
1: back thinking back without knowing we would have talked about this I probably should have but. Um, well, I don't think so. So, so, I think what, so again, what I'm saying is is largely secondhand.
0: Yeah, I think um, I, I think we need to keep in mind. You know, this kind of ties in with what we've learned in this last week from the uh, uh, Dominion Voting Systems lawsuit and the discovery documents and that that we've seen. Yeah. You know, the stuff that the stuff that Fox News people, including Tucker Carlson, right, saying in private. Uh, he passionately hates Trump. Well, you wouldn't know it, right? And, you know, I think Jonah Goldberg had a good comment on this. He said uh, this week, you know, Tucker knew that Trump and Trumpism is corrupt, but because he fancies himself the leader of his own little nation, a Belarus to Trump's Russia, he couldn't admit it publicly. And I think that's, you know, Fox News organization is you can say, OK, MSNBC, other mainstream news organizations, are they do they Are they biased? Yeah, absolutely. On the editorial side. But Fox. When you have the Fox News president saying of one of their one of their folks, "Wow, North Korea is more subtle in their messaging." I mean, yeah, you know, this is <laughs> this is this is a thoroughly corrupt or well, they're an infotainment organization to call them news. And, you know, they had the, the the Hannity's and the Ingram's and the Carlson's in vain against the news side of things saying, oh, my God, we're going to lose our audience. We can't possibly tell them the truth because that's not what they want, because they're, of course, fragile little snowflakes who can't handle the truth. And so we don't want them to go to Newsmax or OANN or whatever it is. And so, yeah. you know, it's it's yeah. a, a, again, I, I, certainly I I agree that other news organizations have their problems, but Fox is impressively corrupt, I got to say.
1: So I would I would say I think there there is a, a weird dynamic. Um, and to me, this has actually been fascinating, uh, seeing that what's what's come out of uh, the discovery in the Dominion case. Um, because on on the one hand, it it uh, it would tend to show that, uh, one, there is a there is a, a division, a, a schism, uh, if you will. Between the news side of Fox News and the the personality driven primetime, uh, the popular stuff. stuff, yeah, yeah. Well, I, again, and that's weird because, uh, like I said, I I that's the stuff that I I watch. Brett Bear, um, but I don't watch the I don't watch the other stuff. Um, sort of for and again, it, it's not a it's not a matter of, uh, you know, I'm refusing to watch it or I'm boycotting it or I'm I'm something or other. It's more just, it it just doesn't do anything for me. You know what I mean? Um, but, uh I think that's, that's interesting. And I, I don't know that you see that at other, um, organizations. I, I look, let's put it this way, as far as, um, you know, there was some stuff about, well, is Murdoch weighing in improperly and all this. Well, look, he's the owner of the company. He's the editor. He's the, um, you know, is, is, uh, Joe Solzberger was he, you know, was Catherine Graham weighing in improperly and, you know, running the Washington Post? No, that's her job. Um, but there is this this weird uh dynamic where i think the fox uh primetime hosts have built up sort of this uh cult following that i i don't think you necessarily see on the other other networks um i could be wrong right i, no, suppose I think Rachel you're Manda right about has that other people
0: to a greater extent but fox, i don't yeah. i don't
1: see it as yeah
0: yeah. And and, and, um, and, and you know, I think it was uh, Ken and Ken and Trey talked about this a while back saying that, boy, if ever there were a good case to be made for uh, a, a great defamation lawsuit, it just seems like this is this seems to be pretty, pretty solid. I think I think they have a decent shot, certainly. And and also makes me wonder, uh, you know, you would think at this point, Jay, that people would have the sense to not. I would not send texts. I don't know what they're thinking. I mean, it, this, is it, is it just me I, or do they feel like they're above the law or somehow that I don't get it because I would never put stuff like that in a text message. I just don't, you, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I, I complete,
1: no, I completely, I completely get it. Uh, absolutely get it. Um, is, is that I think guys like, like Tucker Carlson and, and Laura Ingram and, and, um, Look, look, I mean Laura Ingram uh, clerk for the US Supreme yeah. Court. Um She's no dummy. She's yeah, exactly. Uh these aren't these aren't dumb people. Um uh, my sense is, you know, privately they sort of well obviously privately they, they've been rolling their eyes at a lot of this um going on, but but they they play a role um on on these shows and it's a role they have sort of chosen to play. Um, and so look sometimes look, I mean, in, in fairness, I think sometimes I play a role like on, on this show, right? I mean, I um I I you know what I mean. I sort of yeah. have my podcast persona. Sure. sure. It's you know, it's it, and I'm not saying I'm 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 faking it inauthentic, just making all this up, but it's it's not my average on the day on the street going to work uh, persona. Um uh for the most part. So um but yeah, they they I uh, I think I think they view it as almost like uh um you know, Tucker Carlson is a character I play on TV.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? No, like like um, like Stephen Colbert when he had uh, the Colbert Report, right on. I mean, it's yeah. just kind of an exaggerated version of that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um
1: and 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 they sort of fuel the need uh to signal to other people like, look, I don't believe this crap.
0: Um, it just it, it, but, to me you know, in a way come on it yeah. makes money yeah to me in a way it's just sort of sad that you devote your life to doing something that you know to be false you have contempt for your audience and that what what a what a horrible way to live i i if if these people weren't so odious i would feel sorry for them
1: we should work in a lot for him, mike um
0: <laughs> no
1: i, I and mean, this is this is again maybe a little thing of of uh listen you don't uh, you don't love every client that you're hired to represent, um, but you go out and you make the best case for that client that you can. Now, I would say law is a different sort of um, profession venue than journalism, right? Um, that that's it's very much baked into the job description and the way the system works um, that uh, you <laughs> you know you you're sort of uh, required. You know what I mean? To, to put your best face on things that that uh, don't look, uh, uh, might not look good. Um, journalism, on the other hand, is is supposed to be an exercise in in uh, more getting the truth. Now, I, you could you could make the argument uh, um, that I think, look, these are they're they're acting as provocateurs.
0: Yeah, well, of course. Right. They yeah. They're just
1: they're just putting this out there. Um because it's important to get the the discussion started, it's important that this be out there. They are a little, um, yeah. On the one hand, you, well, you could say you um,
0: say. I, I think to me the bottom line is if Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, and Sean Hannity just vanished from the airwaves entirely. The, I think the world will be a better place. Uh, whereas if you vanished from the, the law firmament, such as it is, I think the world will be slightly worse because you actually do oh, something thanks. that is socially valuable, <laughs> whereas these folks are just are just horrible parasites and, and you're not a parasite. So, you know, and I think that's- uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> no that I'm going I'm to put that on like, you know, whatever. Not right? a parasite. When I publish something, <laughs> yes, book, or, yeah, Mike bernowski says, <laughs> not a parasite. Talk about a ringing endorsement, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um,
1: so no, but I I I think this, and again, this is this is more, yeah. Just it it fascinates me, sort of that, uh, you know. I, again, they have chosen these. It's it's a persona that they, um,
0: yeah, that no, they I agree. do. And
1: I think you can make the argument. Of, again, it, it's it is valuable for society to have provocateurs. Um well, I would even say yeah. that about say like a Michael Moore or someone like that, right? I think he's full of crap. Um, is there value in having that voice out there?
0: I see. I uh, disagree.
1: Because a stop clock is right uh, every so often.
0: I, 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 I think I disagree, at least to a certain extent. I, I, I feel that, it's valuable to have a loyal opposition. It's it's valuable to have radical voices on both sides to a certain extent. But to have cynical hucksters who know what they're saying and doing is wrong, and have no concern about the truth, and are only interested in making a buck in power and fame. No, those folks. They 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 serve no should, valuable. Should purpose. their motivation matter? Well, well, well. That's I think it does because question, when you have right? people in the marketplace of ideas who are who are making a conscious decision to push ideas they know are false in in a very cynical and calculated way. Yeah, I think that that's that just does nobody any good because there are also people who honestly believe in things and push. And so, yeah, I, I think when you have more bad information being pushed into a system, you're going to end up with worse results. So yeah, I I think absolutely. So, so there's room for, let me, let me, let me, let me make this argument. Okay, And
1: and this goes to, so a lot of folks in the the mainstream media decry this as Tucker Carlson's putting out misinformation and so forth, Um, which uh, that's, that strikes me as, well, I, I don't think there it's it's misinformation. Um he's mischaracterizing uh information that he's he's putting out there. But the actual I think there's value um in the video being released and the video being shown. Um you know, that that value you can say it's it's a really great value or or you know, maybe hey, this this lends a little bit more historical depth, nuance. Uh it just gives you it just gives you the inside view of what happened. I mean, yeah. But, but there's value in that. And but for Tucker Carlson, would, would that video come out? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. If, if so? that would have been released to, say, the Wall Street Journal or some responsible conservative organization, absolutely. There's no question in my mind. Bottom line, Tucker Carlson is just a worthless parasite who's wealthy and powerful and just makes me want to throw up. I understand, um, but, but I'm, I'm glad though, I got to say, I'm too. glad he's not wearing the bow ties my, my, anymore. My thing
1: so. is, is, Tucker Carlson was the one who was, was asking and pushing for this video. Oh, plenty whereas of, as most uh, of the other news, news organizations seemed, you know, surprisingly uncurious about
0: it. No, I, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think in part, because there's so much video already out there. Everyone, you know, knows the basic narrative of what happened and certainly conservatives and liberals. Or do dis- they? Dis- Yeah, of course they do. You know, there was so much video. And, you know, so, so yeah, this, yeah, anyway, anyway, Tucker Carlson. Hug.
1: Well, now let, let me, let me go back to one more thing. The, um, it, cause we talked about this, uh, months and months ago when the video came out of the woman who was shot by Capitol Police. Um, again, that video, when I saw it, um, that is a very different picture, uh, than what I had in my mind when the incident was described to me by By their press, you know what i'm saying that was that was different, and it called into question some of the reporting um and and so that's why I think it, it's and but for um these these uh voices of dissent who whether they're driven by profit or or but, or something yeah. else.
0: I hear what you're saying, but there are there are voices of dissent that are that are trying to be honest brokers that care something about the truth. And then there are then there are worthless parasites like Tucker Carlson and and Kevin McCarthy had a choice. He could have he could have found plenty of voices of dissent on the right who were not horrible human beings who care something about the truth, who have who are at least somewhat respectable and are, not you know, Like I said, awful people, but he chose not to do that. He chose to give this to Tucker Carlson when plenty of other folks would have also done a similar thing, though, of course, their stage wouldn't be as as large because, you know, Tucker Carlson is Tucker Carlson. And for better or worse, I'd say not for better, but for worse, Tucker Carlson is the most powerful conservative voice in media right now. President company excluded. Well, yeah, (laughs) of course, (laughs) of course, of course. All right. Let's move on to something entirely different. Uh, Late this week, the Biden administration released its proposed fiscal year 2024 budget, which will begin in October. Uh, Presidential budgets, of course, never, well, almost never become law, even when the president's party controls both chambers of Congress. But, you know, they can give us a sense of the president's priorities and, and sometimes in some areas at least serve as a starting framework. And. Biden's budget came in at 6.8 trillion. That's uh, around a trillion dollars more than his 5.8 trillion dollar request for this fiscal year, and 600 billion dollars more than the 6.2 trillion uh, that the CBO projects federal outlays will be this year, or just under a 10 percent overall increase from what spending looks like it's going to be this year. Now, Biden's proposal includes a 3.2% uh, increase for defense spending, 7.3% more for non-defense spending, also around $3 trillion in deficit reduction over the next de- decade through tax increases on the wealthy. There's this proposed so-called billionaire minimum tax of at least 25% on income over $100 million, an increase in the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28%. As well as changes that would bolster Medicare, uh, which, by the way, the Medicare trustees say will be insolvent in 2028, and Social Security, which the CBO says could be insolvent in a decade or so, absent any changes to that program's funding model. And none of the proposed tax increases would be on households with an income of less than $400,000. That's a, been a Biden kind of talking point since the campaign. And the total amount that would be raised for these tax increases over a decade would be somewhere in the neighborhood of around $5 trillion. So Jay, uh, any surprises here? And what does this budget tell you about the Biden administration's priorities? Um, I, I think it's sort of what I expected them to be. <laughs> and, and, uh,
1: it's it's uh, if nothing else. Um, uh, look, this is this is a big uh, tax and spend sort of uh, uh, blowout, uh, including uh, things like a, a wealth tax that's that's built in, which I think is uh, almost
0: certainly unconstitutional. Well, it's an income tax, um, actually, but because uh, it's on income, not on wealth. Well, no, it's,
1: it's, on, it's on increases in your, your net worth. No, it's, on, you, it's, on,
0: uh, it's, it's a tax of at least 25% on income, not wealth, over $100 Because you're right, a wealth tax would be unconstitutional. But, but the way this is structured, it is not a tax on wealth. It's a tax on income.
1: Right. But the, the wealth, and I'm, I'm reading this, uh, would include all of their income, including appreciated assets.
0: Right, and now, yeah, now whether or not that would be, I, if you're making an argument about whether that falls into income or wealth, maybe that's another issue. But the way it's structured, it's not structured on net wealth. In other words, it wouldn't be taxing savings and other things like that. So, I, right, I, but
1: what it, what it what it is tax? It is taxed. It would tax um, appreciation, uh, and and would tax unrealized gains.
0: Right, and so you can make an argument as to whether or not that would. But what I'm saying, I guess, what I'm what I'm saying is that that isn't necessarily uh, uh, on on the face of it unconstitutional. You could make that argument, which I guess you're making, right. okay. and and I will. Yeah. All right, fair
1: enough. <laughs> when, fair when the enough. time
0: comes, gotcha.
1: Um, but besides, besides uh, even if we're constitutional, I think it's it's uh, terrible policy. Um. To tax people on unrealized gains. You are you are essentially charging them money for money that they do not have in their pocket, um that, that could evaporate the next day. And and obviously that is a disincentive um in terms of, of where you put your money and how you invest. Um I guess my the, the other piece that, that strikes me, and there's a, a lot to to talk about on this, uh, is the idea that these tax increases will shore up uh Medicare um and 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 i and i don't if if you look at the the numbers um the spending still far outpaces the revenue that is supposed to come in um uh, on that in, in over the, the long run if you if you look at um,
0: yeah yeah in other words it, it and, pushes and back the insolvency you know he he goes yeah. back
1: to sort of what the republican talking point would be is it's it's the spending stupid um and and you can't necessarily tax your way out of these things um, the other thing I'd, I'd always throw out, this is just kind of my old, you know, usual caveat, is that when you're looking at um, increased tax revenues, it's one thing to predict them, it's another thing to collect them um, because people will change their behavior. Uh, and especially people who are millionaires or billionaires and have uh, lots of options of, of places to park their money, put their money. Um, uh, in order not to be not to be taxed so um th- that's my my quick overview i i would say i you know yeah obviously this doesn't go anywhere in the republican house i don't think it would uh get through the senate um as currently constituted yeah,
0: agreed agreed
1: um, and you just so to give... it is more just a, a a a prelude to here's my campaign um you know, my camp- campaign platform.
0: But, but in a way, um, uh, having the House controlled by the other party gave, gave Biden a freedom that he wouldn't oh, necessarily yeah. i mean you know cuz you can just come out with an avowal – with a clearly political and not actually a policy document but yeah it's the it's
1: like the free vote exactly thing that we, exactly we talk about sometimes yeah and
0: just to put this in some context uh over the last half century federal spending has averaged just over 20% of gdp Although, as you would expect, right, this was, that was considerably higher in the last three years, that's uh, COVID, right? Because in 2020, it was 31.1%, 29.2% in 21, and then it was down to 24.6% in fiscal year 22. Now, Biden's proposal would be around 25.2%. So not, not huge, but certainly, uh, at least in the context of the last two years, but, you know, over more than what we've seen on average in the last 50 years or so. And if you take comparisons to other countries, it becomes a little tricky because typically what they include is total government spending, which means, you know, state and local as well and so forth. But yeah. if you include all government spending, uh, the US is right around 45% of GDP, which puts it kind of like 12th lowest of the 33 kind of most advanced economies in the OECD. So as you might expect, Jay, you won't be surprised. this France is number one at uh, 59%. And uh, the uh, U.S. 45% is right around the OECD average. So in other words, it's not like we're, if you look at overall government expenditure, which I think you can argue is the best way to look at it, we're not super high. We're not super low. We're kind of, you know, right in the middle there. So, yeah. But but I I I suppose that's
1: a that's probably a good place to be. But
0: yeah, yeah, But but I'm saying so. I I guess what I'm saying is that we're not we're not some sometimes on the left say well there's you know we're we tax so much less than other countries and that's true if you just look at federal. But yeah, when you look at federal and state, that tax burden picture changes somewhat. You know, so I, I wanted to I wanted to point out. But but it's also not like Biden's budget is this, even though it is. You know, a political document. Not like it's just this crazy amount of spending by any kind of standards that some on the right would paint it to be, if you take a look at, you know, historically. So, so yeah, but, but you're right. I mean, it's not like it's going to go anywhere. I would expect that Democrats, that Republicans would want more defense spending and considerably less non defense spending. This idea that we'd only have 3.2% more for defense spending, that's not going to fly. Neither party's going to be interested in that, and I, I maybe seven point three percent increase in non defense spending that doesn't seem crazy, but that wouldn't get through the house certainly maybe the Senate i don't
1: yeah, know yeah I mean and to me I look if you're still increasing spending uh, no matter what're you're, you're not solving the problem and and this is this has been something i've been saying for twenty five years now but but no one will listen um, right I mean when's the last time we've actually really 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 had government cuts, not just cuts in proposed spending or not just cuts in the rate of, of of spending growth um but actually rolled back and and I think this is one of those it's it's the third rail type of issue uh well then right? that's the, that's the what the entitlements Caucus, entitlements take up yeah. take up the um uh, you know we I other people have said this before we uh the United States government is is in many ways a a nuclear armed insurance company um so
0: and that's if, I if would say that's get, a good thing
1: Better than an unarmed insurance company.
0: Absolutely. Um, I mean I think social insurance is an important job. But if you
1: look at if if you look at um yeah, what what the the federal government does uh, by the numbers, um that's what we're talking about. Yeah, and I think Um,
0: just as it should be. And all
1: this all this other stuff that we we argue about um is you know literally drops in the bucket. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. And and until these yeah, good. Well,
0: I was going to say, you know, that's that the point you made about there haven't been any like significant cuts. Absolutely, just like there haven't been any like significant tax increases. Because you're right. I mean, it's it's uh, long term unsustainable. Uh, although, if the modern monetary theorist. Uh, Uh, are right, then it actually is sustainable. I I have my doubts and I know you have huge doubts about that. Mm -hmm. But 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 I think it's you know, it's a question of either raising taxes or cutting spending or some combination thereof. And you're right. We haven't seen any of that, though. Clearly, the House Freedom Caucus is is interested in forcing the issue using the debt ceiling as a way. And so we'll we'll find out we'll find out this summer at some point, you know, uh, how how devoted they are to that.
1: Yeah. So. Yep.
0: All right. Well, let's move on to our next story. And that's, uh, you know, on Friday, speaking of the economy, I guess in a way, the Labor Department released the February jobs report, and they found that employers added around 311 thousand jobs with unemployment up slightly, but still at an extremely low 3.6%. Average hourly earnings were up 4.6% from a year ago, but that's still below the inflation rate of 6.4%. And to put that 3.6% unemployment rate in the context, the average monthly unemployment rate over the last half century has been 6.2%. So considerably higher than we're seeing now. Um, Jay, you know, I was wondering what you make of these latest job numbers. And also, I think our overall economic condition now, because especially with the Fed meeting in a few weeks and, you know, Chair Jerome Powell saying that there's another interest rate hike probably coming, maybe even a 50 basis point hike, which, uh, which would be pretty significant, even though inflation has been going down every month since a high of 9.1% in June of 2022.
1: Um, Two things, one, I guess when you read below the headline and read read uh, into it, most of this job growth came in like restaurant and hospitality, uh, and I think represents more a return uh, of of workers who left uh, during covid um, that 's where that 's where most of the openings are <clears throat> um, i'm i 'm still at this is you know again anecdote uh, but where I work i mean the the fast food places one of them um didn't open till two o'clock uh, uh last week because they just didn't have enough people still um it's 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 you know yeah I think that's that's still going going on every place has these uh uh help on signs. so I think that's that's part of his look at where the growth is uh is this growth growth or is just this hopefully kind of returning back to uh, pre-pandemic. Um, the second thing I, w- I would look at would be the labor participation rate, um, which you have to sort of, I think, take the unemployment rate along with the labor participation rate. That there are a lot of people who just aren't looking for jobs, either have retired, left, or, or just uh, you know, not, not entering the market. Um, and that remains, uh, remains high, um, historically high so and that's that's my my those are my two caveats and of course, then what the Fed does with this is they see look uh if employment is still churning along uh for fear of of overheating uh we will uh tap the brakes again um again i'm am, i'm am a I'm a monetary hawk so i i'm i'm okay with that um you know again, I want as soft as landing as possible um but uh uh, at least you know where i where i come from and i think where a lot of conservatives come from is that inflation is always the the bigger bigger fear so
0: well, you know, one thing that occurs to me with you mentioned the help wanted signs and so forth. And and of course, I would say classical economics would suggest, well, that 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 shouldn't be an issue, because if as long as there are still people who are looking for work and there still are because the em- unemployment rate is not zero. It's then, free. Yeah. yeah if, although you- although although we should we should say
1: that there's there is there is a, at some point a theoretical um A number in which the above zero, which the unemployment rate cannot go down just because there's there's this churn. Well, we used to think there are always some people.
0: But we used to think that that so-called natural rate of unemployment was around four or five percent. And we see that, well, it's a little lower. And, you know, I'm saying in classical economics, you would think, well, there shouldn't be these job wanted signs for too, too long because in the end, if you want somebody and you are not attracting enough workers, well, then you know how you need to do what you need to do. You need to well, you need to raise uh yes, raise <laughs> your, you go. Your wages. Yeah, you need to uh, you need to but provide it. and so you know, I think what's interesting to me is in such a tight job market, I mean, wages have risen, but you I, I would expect them to raise even more. Though what's interesting to me is that to some although extent Although
1: it also gets to a point of, of where you can't. You you can't raise your wages anymore and still be competitive
0: well, yeah and well you you end up having to weigh right how much you can weigh you can raise wages, and of course you have to pass some of that along, but then again, if in your entire industry it's being affected similarly, then i mean it it kind of it washes out essentially so but, but what's so you, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say what what's been interesting to me is how some states said, "Well, you know, if the problem is that uh, companies don't want to raise wages in this tight job market, well, then why don't we just increase the size of the labor market by ease up our child labor laws?" And we've seen this in a number of states, you know, which is. Which is, I I would say, a little troubling to me. Uh, For instance, uh, the Department of Labor says in 2022, there was a 37 percent increase in the number of kids working in violation of child labor laws, which, you know, that that's not nothing. And they've they've noted that violations have been on the rise for the last seven years. And we've seen a number of states that have made some, I would say, in some cases, some very highly questionable moves, for instance, in Iowa, uh, the, there's, it's, there's this legislation. Republican legislators have introduced a bill that would expand the type of work 14 and 15 year olds could do, extend their working hours, and also exempt employers from liability if you know kids are uh, sick, injured, or killed on the job, and strip away their worker compensation rights and. Then there's Arkansas, where uh, Governor uh, Political Nepo Baby, (laughs) Sarah Huckabee Sanders, signed that law uh, that would roll back child labor protections, including that one that – Mandates that kids who want to work obtain a work certificate that requires the signed consent of a parent or guardian. Even in Ohio, our state, uh, the Republican legislature is considering this measure that would allow 14 and 15 year olds to work until nine o'clock year round with permission from a parent or legal guardian. A number of other states as well have done similar things or considering it Minnesota, Wisconsin, even one Democratic state, I should mention, New Jersey. So this is becoming like a thing uh and i'm wondering what what you think about this um i you know
1: i guess i'd I'd have to take the each individual bill on its own right because some of these are are uh limited rollbacks in terms of listen you can do this job but it has to be part of a supervised program and and uh uh, you know uh, the internship or or you know learning a trade type thing for for lack of a better word um so I, I again I I don't think it's necessarily all of them bad to some extent if it if it expands economic opportunities uh, gets rid of maybe some some rules that are um, not helpful and not really you know are, are more just bureaucratic
0: anything that's uh, getting in the right, way I of think... fourteen and fifteen year olds working as much as they want I mean that, you you see what I'm no, saying no I no mean, I, well no but
1: let's let's talk about something like you know working till nine o'clock. Um, uh, is is that uh um you know that there there's there's one thing saying you know we would we would allow 14 to 15 year olds to work till nine o'clock uh during different times of you know the year uh i think it was usually it's you know school year you, you can't work that late um uh it's something else to say we're going to have um 14 to 15 year olds working all day on the you know yeah and just more to, of a you know metal yeah. shop slaughterhouse just, without, just you know, to be clear, things I things. should
0: point out that uh, there's federal legislation that's been in place since the thirties uh, uh, amended a few times since then called the fair labor Standards act which among many other things, includes limits on hours for 14 and 15 year olds, permitted and non-permitted jobs, like you can't have, you know, working yeah. in slaughterhouses or things like that, but or in certain jobs, at least, though there are waivers for kids who are in work study programs. And that's kind of the loophole, if you will, that Iowa right. is sort of hoping. And that's sort of, yeah, the
1: expansion that's, yeah,
0: exactly. And yeah. currently federal work hour limits for 14 and 15 year old kids are no more than 18 hours per week when school's in session, no more than 40 hours per week when school isn't in in session. And there were also those hours, uh, late, late hours, things that, that you mentioned as well. So, so there actually is federal legislation that states, of course, because of, because of preemption that states can't uh, have have more lenient rules than those federal rules. Yeah. And, and so I, I so, guess, go ahead. So I
1: guess, I mean, that's sort of, to, to some extent, you know, look, it's, it, they're not going to uh, unwrite uh, the federal uh, Child Labor Act uh, rules. Um. So yeah, I I I would review each on on its on it, on its own merits, but it does point to it, something about well, where all where all the uh, adults have gone.
0: Well, yeah, I, um, I well I think, but but I also think that a lot of the adults are saying like, if if you want me to work, I I need a better wage, and I don't think that's an unre- yeah. unreasonable but, thing. But, but I think the I've, the
1: other thing that this is I've something I've been harboring quite for quite a while. In some states, um. Pandemic benefits are just now coming to an end. There are still states that have, um, you know, prohibitions on uh, uh, foreclosing uh, or on um, um, evictions and, and so forth. So uh, there are um, uh, increased SNAP benefits, right, that have been going on throughout the pandemic. There, have, there have been tremendous. There, there's what I'm saying is the government has has put in a, a floor. Um, which means that companies are now not competing against each other for having someone to work, but there is there is the, the choice of making of, well, I can make uh, 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 or survive on X number of benefits without having to get a job or go to work for at least for a while um, versus uh, going to work. And, I and think to me that was
0: – yeah, I think that was – I think you're right that that was certainly true at the height of the pandemic and, and maybe even – I think you could make a case uh, that even after – the height and, and maybe that went on too long. Depending
1: I, on the state you're in. Yeah. yeah.
0: Depending on the state. And, and I, You and I might disagree on that to to some to some extent, but I think it's a reasonable argument. But at this point, I I don't I don't know that I really buy that, though. I'm not saying it's flat out not true, but I don't think that it's true enough for any significant number of people that would have any kind of would move the needle on the on the unemployment numbers. But but again, I don't have any data in front of me here, so I won't go further than that. But I'm I'll just I'll just consider myself highly skeptical on that point. All right. So. So, but, but in okay, general, yeah. I mean, I, I, you you have at least a but, personal. But so to me,
1: so, so to me, here, here's what I, I look at though, without having, I'm completely comfortable going forward without any data in front of me. <laughs> um, <laughs> other than, uh, other than I know, here's, here's what our situation was uh, in, in 2019 in terms of employment and uh, places worked. And, and here is where we are right now. And what's, what's the, the big difference that I can see. Is there's been a massive influx in in spending, uh, or relief from other obligations that would make less imperative to get a job?
0: Sure, yeah, I I I think that's that's a a reasonable causal relationship deposit at least. So, yeah, but but as you know, I also wanted to get your personal perspective because, of course, you as somebody who has kids, uh, and, and this is a perspective I don't have. I mean, what do you think about? You know, having restrictions in place that would limit the extent to which your kids could work. I mean, you think it's a good thing, or is it somehow? Well, they,
1: they, they all they all work in the
0: slaughterhouse, Mike, <laughs> and um, you know, they, they they love it. They're there in the mines, um, and they seem they happy. Love, they yeah, you know, yeah, um, you know, a little black lung, never hurt um, anything. Yeah, they they
1: they wanted to work with animals, so um, no, in um, in my view, actually, it's. I, I see sort of the, the other problem in that, um, the employers, my, my kids, uh, in some ways, uh, because of the labor shortage, because of just the way things are, um, kind of have been able to kind of call their own shots. Um, you know, my, so my, my oldest daughter, who is, who is no longer a minor, um, uh, during when she's not in school works as a, a waitress, um, uh part-time and again she absolutely loves it uh she's got some of them you know typical late hour type type thing but um it it's a matter of uh you know she's had they're they're they are eager to please um uh you know they're right, the, sure. the way they're their employees and they're they're always looking for more um and that's you know been her complaint is you know it's sort of the well we're just too busy we're understaffed um uh, my uh my younger daughter um uh is a, a lifeguard at the the city pool um so her hours are sort of necessarily kind of you know go around that but um it's it's uh you know again it's it's like your typical teenage kind of kind of summer job um but you know in terms of of bargaining power i think she's you know more so than what uh teenagers
0: did back in our day sure Um, right when when there was a lot more slack in the job market
1: yeah yeah Uh, because the i think there's always this you know i forget it i can just you know um not you know so yeah and our, our youngest is um is isn't starting in the slaughterhouse for for a couple months yet but
0: but, but it's a general rule um, i mean you you're you're a, you're a fan of child labor laws uh maximum yeah, hours that yeah. sort of thing i just wanted well, to make yeah. that clear it's not you're you're not saying we should would take all these restrictions of freedom and freedom of contract and let's bring back lochner and all that sort of thing you're not no you're not no but that.
1: um oh I, I might make uh i might be more persuaded to make the, the lochner type <laughs> argument, uh, for adults. Right. But uh-huh. No, I, I think I, I think that's that's pretty reasonable. Um uh that said, are there are there some of these rules regs that, you know, get in the way that are um So so here's here's an example. Um now this was after uh I guess the kid probably would have been 18. Um but uh, uh he has this sort of like this side gig just doing like DoorDash stuff. Um and it was sort of gig economy stuff. It, you know, it, it worked great for him. He'd sort of get a text of, hey, you want to do this delivery? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Um, uh, but he would do it all hours of the night, all all kinds of, of uh, places uh, uh, around the city. Um, yes, yeah, should that have been a kid's job? I don't know. But it also, um, it, you know, it, is there some flexibility in that, that rules? And again, most a lot of the rules wouldn't have applied to him because it was sort of a, a contract gig rather than regular employee. Um, but, but I always think there's, there's, you know, you can take a look at, there may be some rules and regs that were put in place in a different time, uh, for different reasons that may or may not apply as well today. So that's what I'm saying is I'm, I'm not opposed to if we're in a labor shortage to let's look at are our labor laws sensible across the board. Sure. Um,
0: no, no, while I,
1: still being opposed to child labor.
0: Yeah, that that makes that makes sense to me. But I, I guess in the larger picture, for me, is it's it's a good idea. I think to allow kids to be kids. And I'm concerned in general about a situation where we feel like we need to loosen up these laws so, you know, kids can be put into the workforce even younger. And so much of our society is just so focused on get a job, contribute to the economy, work, produce, earn. And it just, it's, it's nice for kids to have some time to be kids. And I hate the idea that we're just pushing more and more and more of that on them. And it seems like- it's- oh. Certainly, a lot more from when we were growing up, and 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 it just I think there's something to be said for having a period in your life before you're you know in your 60s and 70s where you don't have to feel like oh my god I need to get going and be a cog in this machine.
1: Yeah, no, I I I agree with that, but I also would say that doesn't mean um, just because you might do tweaks around the edges on uh, hours that can be worked or something like that 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 somehow changes. the equation, right, of of kids entering the workforce or, do, um, you know, again, a lot of this is necessarily because of, you know, school commitments and so forth, they're going to be part-time jobs, they're going to be, um, you know, fast food type jobs, or they're going to be the summer job, lifeguard type thing. Um, uh, so I, I, I don't think that, uh, what I'm saying is I don't see there's, there's a, a ton of pressure uh, for high school kids to say, hey, look, I'm um uh I'm gonna quit school and go work well, at the slaughterhouse. But,
0: but I think part although
1: of although I, I, I certainly went to high school with some kids who would have been like, yeah, this is the best, is the well, best yeah. thing well, ever.
0: But, but I think part of it is is sort of, if you will, saving kids from themselves. Because if you have that opportunity to get, say, like 10 more hours a week and you're like, wow, that's a lot more that's a lot more money I can be earning. And sure, I'm still going to school, but maybe you you don't have as much focus, as much energy. I mean, I see this at the college level all the time, but we have kids who are just, you know, they by necessity, right? They're working one, sometimes, you know, several jobs and they're there, but they're not really, they're not doing as well as they could be. And so what what ends up happening is they shortchange their long-term prospects for some quick money in the present. Sometimes they, I mean, they're forced to, and that's just, I think it's a really bad situation.
1: Yeah. Well, and and there was also though. I mean, you and I grew up at a time and in places uh, where there was still a a not insubstantial uh, number of people who said, "Why the hell do you need to call, go to college? Why don't you go get a job in the mill like a real man?" Sure. Yeah. Right. At least at least where I'm from. Um, but
0: there's more of that now. In fact, I mean, in, in a lot of colleges, we're seeing declines in enrollment because there are all these jobs out there and people saying, well, why should I go and spend, you know, four four years or, or more and spend all this money, rack up all this debt when there are jobs just everywhere, yeah. essentially. And, well,
1: those I mean, but as you point out, there are other factors in, in that equation um, as opposed to just the job versus college. One one being cost, one being time. Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. There you know, just a whole lot of other reasons. Um, so,
0: which is why, which is why free college, free public college for all, is a is a fantastic idea, right? That's uh, yeah, but is it
1: though? I mean, I because I would I would argue it the other way that college isn't for everyone.
0: No, Some absolutely people don't want yeah, to. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know,
1: I mean, and and if if uh, there are a whole lot of people who could make a whole lot of better living uh, learning a trade, um, uh, you know, being a a plumber rather than, um, you know, gender studies slash barista. Um, well, that's
0: why when we talk you know, about, I mean, yeah. when we talk about college, it's also, it's really more kind of uh, advanced education, if you will. And I think that there's no reason why that can't be in the trades or other vocational sort of things as opposed to your traditional sort of, you know, uh, liberal arts sort of education type of thing, right? So that, that I think to me, the point is, is making sure that people have the ability to uh, become uh, a part of, the economy, if you will, to earn a decent living without having to take on a ridiculous amount of debt. Yeah. And yeah. whether that's, uh, whether that's at Oberlin, or whether that's at, you know, uh, Bob's school, of small engine repair, hey, that's either way, whatever, you know, it takes all kinds. All right. Well, uh, you know, there's a lot more that I really want to talk with you about, Jay. Some culture war issues, maybe, uh, Ron DeSantis and versus Disney around what, I don't know, 37 or something like that. But also, you know, Gavin, uh, uh Gavin Newsom versus Walgreens. And I want to get your take on CPAC. And also, uh, definitely I've been so excited this week. I definitely want to talk about the, the after school Satan club. We didn't have one of those at my school. But uh, right. but we're out of time on this show, but we're definitely going to get to all of that in the midweek show. So if you are not a supporter, you'll hear all that. On, uh, you, you can hear all that on the midweek show. We hope you'll consider becoming a supporter if you're not. Uh, you, like I said, you get that entire – Ad-free midweek show, ad-free versions of everything else we put out, as well as other stuff at various levels of support. Check it all out at patreon.com slash politicsguys. And if you'd like to support us some other way, we're at Venmo at politicsguys. You can also support the show through PayPal, and you can find all of our support links in the show notes, as well as at politicsguys.com slash support. And if you'd like to get that midweek show, but you're not in a position to financially support us, just send me an email. I'm at, at politicsguys.com and I will get that set up for you. And whether you're a supporter or not, leaving reviews and ratings on whatever podcast app you choose really helps us out, as does sharing episodes on social media. And as always, we love to hear from you. You can reach us at mail at politicsguys.com. There's our Discord channel for supporters, which is always fun and interesting. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter. And you will find links to all of that in our show notes. And finally, as always, a very special thanks to our fantastic executive producers, Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Ryan Beasley, and Don Oglesby. We'll be back with a new episode for you next week. We hope you'll join us.